This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unk, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unk podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unk, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast. Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. young and you have goals of going to college, first off, the first thing you want to do is just get out of high school. But then the future is so bright because you think of about where you're going to go path because it's unknown, but there's a level of excitement to it. You go down that path and you kind of enter into a new world that has family at a university. You're seeking out those things that are going to define you as a person as you continue to grow. But what you don't expect is that when you come home on your break from college, that you'll be brutally murdered and your body left to decompose. Today, we're going to talk about the death of a young lady named AJ. AJ Hatzel. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags.
Jackie AJ was home from college. She was, Joe. Angelica AJ Hadsel was back home in Norfolk, Virginia for spring break, March of 2015. She was a freshman at Longwood University. AJ disappeared on March 2nd, and her body was not found until five weeks later near the North Carolina border. Let's put off for just a moment, Joe, discussing what AJ actually died from and talk about how she was found and the condition her body was going to be in and how that relates to the bruises that they found across her chin and chest. She was not found until five weeks later. She was partially buried in a drainage ditch. That implies that there would have been water there. Right, you are. That here, here's here's the problem. She's out exposed to the elements, and you know one of the biggest problems that you encounter, you know, out in the field as a death investigator, you have to overcome not just what the perpetrator has done and try to you know make your way through all of that science, but you're competing with the environment in which a body is found. And in this case, you don't have a body that's in a protected space. And, you know, we kind of break these things down. And interestingly enough, we refer to them (laughs) very simplistically as indoor scenes versus outdoor scenes. And when you begin to think about the dynamic that's going on in the surrounding environment, as it pertains to human remains, they're impacted in so many ways. What's kind of intriguing is that you have this environment in which individuals Their remains are actually impacted by ambient temperature. That is the environmental temperature which surrounds the remain. They're impacted by even things like wind. You imagine that, you know, the wind blowing over the body is going to cool the surface or warm the surface of the body. Barometric pressure, humidity, all of these things come into place. And then you throw on top of it, you have a body that is lying in a wet environment. And that has, Furthermore, complications that occur in, in, in this wet environment, the bodies may very well tend to break down a bit quicker. You know, we're talking about a case in which a body is found five weeks, essentially, after, after she went missing. And so that's going to greatly compromise your ability to assess what you're seeing at the scene. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that, that we look at, and I've talked about this before on body bags, is the honoring of the dead. And I know that sounds kind of odd, you know, you begin to think about funeral practices and and those things that we do with the dead to honor the dead, memorialization of the dead is what it's actually called. When you see somebody that has been left outside, how was the body treated in those moments, you know, after death? Was there a hole that was dug? Did somebody actually put shovel to dirt? Turn soil, do the work that's required to bury a body. Did they cover the body in rocks? Did they cover it in, uh, in tree limbs? Those sorts of things. In AJ's case, you have a body, her body, that is essentially discarded. And there wasn't a lot of work that went into this because what we understand is that the only attempt to obscure her body was a piece of plywood, debris, if you will, that was laid across the top of her body. So I think that we can learn a lot about the person that was responsible for this, you know, because, you know, let's face it, you know, when you see something like this, you find a body that's partially obscured. You're not thinking, well, this person, the deceased, did not wind up in this position of their own volition. 
this had to have occurred at the hand of another. And as an investigator, that's the way you're thinking. So how much time did they spend with the body? And this is kind of an, an isolated spot where she was found because this is behind an abandoned house. You begin to think, well, if it's behind an abandoned house, is this a location that the perpetrator actually had knowledge of? Is it in proximity to anything else, a roadway, those sorts of things? What type of vehicles travel up and down this road? Who would have the kind of awareness that it would require to know that if I'm going to deposit a body, this is where I'm going to go? And then not use the home or the structure, but to go behind it into this wet environment and just use whatever is at their ready in order to cover the body up. Because it sounds to me like the piece of plywood that was covering AJ's remains was essentially an item of convenience. It was found there. She was found lying face down in a prone position and then the body covered. You were saying that it was pretty obvious that this was a death that was caused by someone else. She was not bludgeoned, but they saw bruises across her chest and on her face. Number one, for those to still be visible after so many days of decomposition and across the chest shows us that these are very hardy, deep bruises. And, and what kind of an injury does this indicate to you, Joe? Well, hey, let me just kind of lay the groundwork for you here when you're talking about a, a, a body that's going through the process of decomposition. First off, the body, as I'm sure that many people understand, is going to change colors. and one of the color phases that a body will go through during this period of time is it will, uh, and a lot of this is environmentally dependent, so that kind of caveat, but the body will darken, essentially. You'll have the body turn a deep brown, and then it'll kind of go to black. So the fact that they were able to discern what we refer to as some kind of insult, and insult is just a fancy way that forensic pathologists use. It's kind of a generalized catch-all phrase. And when they say insult, you know, how was the body insulted? They use that term without being real specific. But in this case, they would have had to have seen what are referred to as margins. And that is something that is distinguishable. It has some kind of pattern to it that varies, that varies from the normal order that takes place relative to decomposition. And so, what we're talking about here are contusions. You know, we use the word uh, bruises, and it's the same thing, essentially. You know, what's fascinating about the process of, of decomposition is that, you know, the, the bodies are going to change colors. That's just That just happens. And as bodies continue to decompose, there's a progression that takes place, and a color change will will be affected. You'll see bodies that will turn kind of a greenish to black color. There's a, 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 a brown shade. A lot of this is heavily dependent upon environmental considerations. But what's fascinating about AJ's case is that they were able to appreciate what they're referring to as contusions on her chest, and which is, again, fancy terms for, for, for bruises. And they were able to single those out when compared to the natural state of decomposition, that process. And the way it has been presented is that there was apparently 
severe pressure that was applied, maybe impact trauma, where, and I'm imagining somebody pinning somebody down constantly or striking them across the chest to gain control of them. Now, how do we discern between decompositional changes and say, for instance, antemortem, which means before death, antemortem trauma? In this case, we're talking about hemorrhage. Well, when the pathologist does the dissection, they'll take samples of those those areas of contused areas at autopsy. And there's never an area that is more heavily dependent upon histological examination. That is the microscopic examination of the tissues when it comes to decomposition. So you really have to be heavily dependent upon what you're seeing in the microscope, was there hemorrhage existing in that area prior to death or in the perimortem state where they're kind of, you know, that milky period of time where people are going from the antemortem state to the postmortem state or after death. And that can be picked up on microscopically. But that pathologist at that moment in time, they saw something. There was a pattern there that looked completely different than the normal progression of decomposition. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Big thank you to our partner in making today's program possible is Grand Canyon University. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes we're endowed with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the American dream starts with purpose. GCU equips you to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. 
By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's online, on-campus, and hybrid learning environments are designed to help you achieve your unique academic, personal, and professional goals. Offering over 330 academic programs as of September 2023, GCU meets you where you are and provides you a path to help fulfill your dreams. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I don't know of any any circumstance that an investigator, a death investigator, hates to face more than a, a decomposing body. And it has nothing to do, hear me right, it has nothing to do with smell and sight and all those things. It's just that everything gets so jumbled up in that world because it's hard to understand and delineate between trauma that may have occurred to the body and the environmental decompositional factors that are going on. With what you just said, the investigators and the ME, the pathologist, found a very distinct pattern of bruising on H.A.'s face and showed the imprints of someone's hand as if they were holding, squeezing H.A.'s face very hard. Yeah. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, you know, when when you're you can actually see patterns, and you yet listen in the morgue and even out at the scene, you have to be very very careful about what you're what you're opining at that point. You know, who who are you going to actually tell this to? Because you have to go through the process of scientific verification if what you're actually seeing is true. All right, scientifically verifiable, if you will. Because remember, you know, in any kind of homicide, you're going to go to court with that. And so will it stand up? Will it hold up scientifically? Will it, will it stand up to muster, you know, at that point in time as these things are being judged in court? So when we see patterns on a body, we can suggest, at least in our own mind, that yet yeah, that kind of resembles what might be a handprint. And I hate to use the term handprint because that implies that you're leaving behind evidence of friction ridges, you know, like with fingerprints and that sort of, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about direct applied pressure. And sometimes when you have this applied pressure on a specific surface, like the throat, the neck, you know, if you will, jawline, face, anybody that's ever been struck in the face by a slap, you know, you can appreciate sometimes you can make out those little areas of fingers, you know, where that has occurred. But just imagine a slap that goes on forever and ever. Well, as you continue to apply pressure, as you continue to apply pressure in that specific area, the greater the pressure, the higher the likelihood that the little capillary beds that are in what's referred to as the interstitial tissue, that is the tissue that's, that is in between blood vessels, there are capillary beds in there. They're going to rupture. And at that point of rupturing, they will kind of follow a pattern that gives you an indication that something was there, like, you know, fingers, a palm, the heel of a hand, that sort of thing. And so that's what they're looking at. What does this most closely resemble? And this is something that, that's key in our world of forensics. You cannot, and I repeat, there is no 
forensic scientists out there that can quantify this. And what I mean by that, you cannot numerically state, you know, like we can with toxicology and DNA and that sort of thing. You can't quantify this. You can qualify. It's a qualified opinion that that is more than likely caused by direct pressure of a hand. And it'll look very distinct. But here's, here's again, back to this problem that you encounter with decomposition is that you have to be very careful. And it's counterintuitive, you know, when you're in this environment because you're around human remains, let's face it, that are very unpleasant to be around in the first place because of decomposition, the smells, all of these things that are going on. But it is actually in that environment that you have to spend a longer amount of time because more stuff is obscured. Isn't that kind of interesting? You have to take more time because things can be kind of blocked out by the decompositional process. And that's one of the things that is is kind of striking, I think, to a lot of people that have never been inside of a morgue or have ever you know, been around an autopsy. Those things that we might recoil from in a normal, in a normal environment, you're drawn to it as a death investigator. You're drawn to it to stay there longer because there are these big questions that have to be asked. And let me tell you something. If they're not asked and answered at that moment of time, when that person within you is saying, I don't want to be in this environment, I don't want to be around a body that is in this condition, you're, you know, your feet are telling you to flee, but you have to stay planted. You have to look at this evidence very, very carefully because you get one shot at it. Joe, you mentioned toxicology, and that is where investigators had to turn to find out AJ's cause of death. Yet AJ did not use drugs. There were no needle marks found on her body. She did not have a history, according to her family, of drug use. How does that happen then, Joe, and how does it connect with those bruises on her face? We come across a lot of modes. And when I say modes, I'm talking about a, a mode is, is that thing that brings about a, a fatal event. So what mode is someone killed by? What is being put forward in AJ's case is that her death was directly related to a heroin overdose. Heroin overdose. And just... You know, let's dwell on that just for a second. Well, what are some things we look for in a heroin overdose? Well, in that population of people that use heroin, there are certain physical characteristics that we look for, wasting away because, you know, your life is spent in this kind of cycle of seeking the drug and using the drug and then kind of cycling through that event over and over and over and over again. It's a personal hell I can only imagine. But in AJ's case, that's kind of difficult to assess, isn't it? You know, because again, we're back to this factor of decomposition and that impacts everything in this particular case. Now, here's something that that folks might not understand that when we work drug OD cases, that is deaths that are related to a specific drug, in this case, heroin. One of the things that we look for, some of the physical manifestations that you see as far as evidence of direct injection, and that's commonly how how heroin is administered is, you know, classically, we look for what are referred to for years and years as, as railroad tracks. And those are specific injection sites. Many times they're located in the crook of the arm and in, you know, from an anatomical standpoint, that's referred to the antecubital fossa. And, but, you know, just crook of the arm is fine. And it's on 
it's on that surface of the forearm where an individual can tie off with a, a tourniquet. They raise a vein or a vessel rather, and they inject directly in there. Well, in her case, that would not have been visible. But some of the things that we will do is we will actually go into those hardened areas because they are hardened. It, it forms almost what's referred to as a, a granuloma, if you will. And that arises from what heroin is cut with. You know, you can have quinine, uh, you know, they'll cut it with talcum powder. There's all baby formula or baby powder, you know, formula that's used to create baby formula. There's any number of things that it's cut with. And those those elements will get hung up and create these little kind of hardened, it's not really a cyst, but it's just a hardened area that's referred to as a granuloma. And you can run your thumb or your index finger over that area and you can feel them beneath the skin. And at autopsy, we'll go into those track marks and kind of dissect those out and, and retrieve those and look at them and those sorts of things. That That's a big thing. And then when we have individuals that have, that are found immediately after death, if we're considering that it might be an injection of heroin overdose. It's quite fascinating to see the arms of the dead many times that have died as a result of an OD. You start above at exam, you start above or superior to the elbow and you tightly squeeze the arm and you move your hand down, down the axis of the arm, squeezing. And you know what happens? If there's an injection site there, you'll see a little dot, a little dot of blood that will appear at what we refer to as a needle puncture site. We call them NPWs. The medical community uses that term, needle puncture wound. And you'll see that little bit of blood that will erupt from that site. Again, back to AJ's case. You don't have that advantage, but I do know this, that at autopsy, or following autopsy, when they finally got her toxicological sample examined, and that is no easy feat in, in, in a case like hers, it was three times, three times the lethal limit. What would that amount of heroin do to a person who's never used the drug? I mean, I can't imagine that that would have been considered a pleasure trip, for lack of a better phrase. You're talking about if someone has just come into this cold and has never used heroin before, death is going to come upon them very, very quickly. And it is not going to be a pleasant, a pleasant event. There's not going to be like some kind of warm, swimmy feeling that you get, you know, like if you're, you know, people that out there in our audience that think about anesthesia, you know, where they give you a pre-drug and you're kind of loopy, <laughs> if you will. And then they say, I want you to start counting backwards from a hundred and you start and you make it to like 98 and you just simply go to sleep. It's, it's not going to be like that. You're, and depending upon how it's administered, you're talking talking about what could potentially have been her seizing, overwhelming nausea, perhaps just for at least in the short period, and where she's getting very short of breath. Remember, heroin depresses the respiratory system. It's just, it's it's like, you know, a boat anchor that's tied to, to your ability to breathe. You're gasping for air. It, it would have been horrific. I mean, absolutely horrific. It, it's a death that that on the part of the individual that administers this drug to someone, it shows very little mercy, very little mercy at all. So then would H.A.'s heart have just stopped? Yeah, and, and that's, 
you know that that's the case in in an event like this because again you're and it's a combination of systemically of everything when we are essentially uptaking oxygen you know when we're breathing in this environment the normal cycle is we take in oxygen oxygen is processed by our body we have the red blood cells that transfer you know the oxygenated blood through throughout our system this sort of thing you interfere with that process and it, just at one level, it, it has to do with, you know, insufficient oxygen uptake in this particular case. And there are a lot of other factors that play into this. But yeah, her heart would have, she would have gone into cardiac arrest, but this would have been a case also involving what's referred to simply as respiratory failure. And it's part and parcel of a heroin OD. Many times with, and I, they're countless in my experience because of many, the many drug cases that I've worked. One of the things that you see with with drug overdoses and particularly things like heroin and even oxys and those sorts of things that are, you know, synthetics out there, you see what's presenting on the face is referred to as a frothy edematous cone. It issues forth from the nose and the mouth. It has kind of a pink discoloration. And you see it in drownings amazingly as well. And it, it it's indicative of a respiratory failure event where your lungs are becoming very weighted and heavy and those sorts of things. And you produce this froth that's kind of blood tinged. Essentially, it's almost like drowning. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Big thank you to our partner in making today's program possible. It's Grand Canyon University. Grand Canyon University, a private Christian university in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona, believes we're endowed with certain unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the American dream starts with purpose. GCU equips you to serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's online, on-campus, and hybrid learning environments are designed to help you achieve your unique academic, personal, and professional goals. Offering over 330 academic programs as of September 2023, GCU meets you where you are and provides you a path to help fulfill your dreams. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University, private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Heroin overdose. If if heroin is being used as a mode in order to take somebody's life, my big question as an investigator is who in the world would actually have ready access, ready access to an illegal substance like heroin? Yes, the search is on, Joe, for the person that administered heroin to AJ. And what we found, or what investigators found, is that AJ's stepfather had been kicked out of the home by AJ's mother for heroin use wesley hadsel how did they do it well i think that you know the fact that when you have a young lady's body that is in such a advanced state of decomposition because it, it was advanced and i'm you know listen you know animals had actually made their way to her remains so th- this is not an easy an easy lift as they say this is something that you have to do a very careful close examination on one of the one of the first things that they did at autopsy was they took a hair sample from aj's body and you think well what in the world they need a hair sample for well you know we think about hair samples relative to dna and matching hairs up in trace evidence that we find at scenes we can find broken shafts of hair you know when we look at them we can see you know, people that have colored their hair, we can see that staining on this, all those sorts of things that, you know, try to determine if a hair is actually fur or versus human hair, those sorts of things. In her case, though, they employed a very interesting methodology to learn something about the body that they had at that time. And that is they acquired a follicle of her hair and did drug testing on it. How in the world did they do that? (laughs) Well, with chronic drug abusers, one of the things that you will see is that as heroin, for instance, in this case, is injected into the system, it gets into the bloodstream, right? Well, what feeds the hair? Well, it's red blood cells. And think about a hair follicle is almost like the rings of a tree. You know how if you cut a tree in half, you can kind of 
tell the history of it, you know, drought years versus wet years and all these sorts of things that, that botanists look at. In the short term, when you look at a hair follicle, though, you can actually test that hair follicle to see if there is heroin or some types of drugs contained within that hair follicle. And for us as investigators, particularly when you're dealing with a decomposed body, you need as much data as you possibly can have. Because, you know, we talked about the term quantitative, which means numbers. You're not going to be able to get a quantitative amount or a level of heroin, but you can qualify it. You can say, yeah, there, there is, in fact, heroin present or there's evidence of heroin being present in this follicle of hair. And dependent upon how far, how far up the hair follicle that heroin is, and there are markers along the way, you can see that the individual has taken heroin maybe here, here, here. So you're talking about linear time as the hair is beginning to grow out. It gives you an indication of history of this person's involvement with drugs. Well, in AJ's case, they took the hair sample and it was actually negative. It was negative because in order to get heroin into the hair follicle, it, it's going to take, it's not something that immediately happens. It's going to be something that's going to take four to five days, you know, as the heroin is metabolized through the body, it finally makes it to the hair follicle and begins its growth outward. So, you know, you, you find a young lady who is in this position, you're trying to determine what exactly happened to her. And one of the things you're going to go to is, did she have anything on board? You know, they came to the conclusion that it was, in fact, a heroin overdose with her. Remember, it wasn't present in her hair. So where else do you go? Well, you got a body that's decomposed, so you're not going to necessarily be able to draw blood. And in those cases, one of the things that we will do at autopsy is take organ samples. Generally, the liver is kind of one of the best areas you can do this from, liver and brain. And it'll be a sample of the tissue will actually be placed into a test tube, if you will, and then placed into a centrifuge and spun at a very high rate. And it the sample actually liquefies. And it's at that point, you can draw this up much like you do blood, and submit that for a toxicological sample. Now, it's a bit rougher as far as the as the those quantitative numbers go, you know, when you're thinking about urine and blood and all those sorts of things, but it will still get you pretty close. And in AJ's case, she had three times, three times the lethal limit in her system. So that that's a huge bolus, which is an individual administration of a drug for her to have to have never been around heroin, to have never used heroin. She had no prior history of drug abuse, those sorts of things. And, you know, you're you're thinking as an investigator, well, how did she get this much on board? And then you you couple that with looking at her stepfather's drug history. Remember, he had just been kicked out of the house. Well, who in that family, who in her immediate circle, remember she's home from school. It's not like they found her in a dorm room, okay? Who in that little circle within her home, within her environment, first off, would have access to her, and secondly, could easily make her disappear, and thirdly, that would also have access to this this drug? Well, all signs are going to point toward the stepfather in this particular case, because he kind of fits the bill. And that's how you build a case like this. As police investigated, the stepfather 
had a long history of violence against women. They also had information from Wesley Hadsell's drug dealer that he had purchased heroin the day after AJ's disappearance. And again, AJ did not have a history of drug abuse, no needle marks found on her body. Wesley Hadsell, who still to this day maintains that he did not kill his stepdaughter, he always claimed innocence. The evidence that came in that the investigators used came from his van. Yeah, that's just it. He's riding around in this van. That's, well, first off, here's some of the items that are contained in there. First off, AJ's headband, you know, that this young lady would have used to, you know, pull back that lovely brown hair that she had. And it was, it was long. It was like longer than her, her shoulders. Found shovel in there. Found duct tape in there. And in addition to that, you know, and look, I, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with riding around with a picture of your child in the vehicle. Lord knows I do. I've got pictures everywhere. But there was a picture of her, no one else. And I, I think this kicks it up to another level of horror here. Because this is a young lady who he came into her life. He's not her biological father. and He adopted her. She carried his surname. He had access to her. And there was one part I forgot to mention relative to what they saw at the scene. AJ still had sweatpants on, but the sweatpants were in a position. Now, she's found face down at the scene, what we refer to as prone, face down at a scene. And the sweatpants are pulled down below the level of her buttocks. The horror here is incredible because you have this young lady that has heroin that has been administered to her. She's in, apparently, in the hands of someone that she trusted. Remember, this is her dad now. She carries his name. And you've got this event that would appear consistent with a forcible administration of heroin i can't even fathom plumb the depths if you will of the horror when she felt that that little pinprick i'm sure it wasn't that she was tied off you know like heroin addicts do where they're seeking a vein with a tourniquet this would have gone directly into what's referred to as her sub-q fat that means the the needle was applied directly to her skin, she would have sensed that, that, you know, what, what, what's happening to me? And then to be found in this position, it implies, at least, and I think in the minds of the investigators and certainly the prosecutors, that this was perhaps a sexual assault event that was going on, that he took this young woman out there in this isolated area behind an abandoned house. He had just been kicked out of his home by his wife because of drug abuse. And he targeted her. He was exacting punishment, I think, on her. This, this is not about love on any level. This is, this is horror that I don't know that any of us can really kind of calculate when you consider how she was found. One other aside to this, her body was in such a state of decomposition. And we talked about the 
the these hand markings that are found, these these contusions, they could not, and the forensic pathologists actually say they could not actually rule out the possibility that she had been manually strangled at some point in time. Again, you know, decomposition playing a role. It's very tough to ascertain that. But what we do know is that she had this lethal agent in her body that was administered at the hand of somebody that she trusted, somebody that she, I don't know, I don't know what their relationship was like, but may have called him father. Okay, Joe, I'm I'm a little confused. I made an assumption that with the bruises on her face, that it was the possibility that AJ was administered this orally. Can you take heroin orally? I, I have no idea. Or are you saying she still had to be injected somewhere? That's hard to say, but I, I have to imagine if an individual has access to a needle, which in this particular case, you got a heroin abuser. So yeah, he's going to have what they call his works, which is a needle, a spoon, all those sorts of things, a tourniquet. He's got ready access to it. And again, this is something that can only you can only assume. Look, people take heroin in a, a couple of interesting ways. It has been taken over the years where there are people that snort heroin. You know, there are people that will ingest heroin. And, you know, I've actually worked cases where I've had drug mules that have had dosages of heroin inserted into their backside and the, the capsules erupt. And it can be administered there. There are people that have taken heroin uh, rectally. So that does happen. There's any number of means in which this can occur. But, you know, when we're thinking about AJ and the position she was found in, anytime we find particularly a female subject that is deceased and her clothing is disrupted in any way, the first thing I'm thinking about is that this is this has the potential. I've got strong evidence now that this might very well be a sexual assault case. However, you're you're faced with this great obstacle in her case where when you do a traditional rape kit, we hear a lot about rape kits nowadays, the ability to assess what may have been left behind by biological sample, whether it's semen or blood or hair, those, it becomes greatly compromised. So I don't know that there's any way that you can actually determine that. Some of the other things that we look for are physical signs of sexual assault. And that doesn't always happen, you know, where you're thinking about tearing and, and those sorts of things. And again, you're faced with the obstacle of decomposition. So it was a real tough uphill climb for the investigators, not just the investigators, but I'm sure the forensic pathologist as well that did the examination. Well, Wesley Hetzel was convicted in the murder of A.J. Hetzel and sentenced to life in prison. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. 
With the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.